I'm Aria Schwartz along with Rachel Galligan and welcome to the Windsider Show where it's all about the W. Really excited to continue to share the stories of current and past WNBA players. Today our guest is Quasi Timmons, but you might know her as Quasi Barnes, the former WNBA player for the Seattle Storm, Phoenix Mercury, and Sacramento Monarchs. She has over 17 years of experience coaching college basketball, and if you like college basketball, she's an Indiana University legend. If you like our show, please consider joining our Patreon community, patreon.com backslash Winsider. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the W. And don't forget to see our amazing staff's written content over at winsider.com. That's winsider.com. While you're over there, check out our overseas tracker. It's live now, and you can see where your favorite WNBA players are playing overseas all in one place. And one last plug, our free agency tracker, the best there is. Thank you, Ben Dole, for the hard work he has put into it. Make sure to keep up to date on all the moves and action during this year's free agents. Okay, I am so excited, everybody. We are here with one of my closest friends, uh, my, my former coach, one of my mentors, uh, Quasi Timmons. Some of you might recognize her as Quasi Barnes back in her playing days, but uh, really happy to have you here, Quasi. Uh, I, I, I miss you. I wish we could get together more than what we have been able to see each other the last year and a half. Gotta love the, the difficult times, but so happy to have you on the show. So excited to kind of just hear your story and, and shed some light into kind of what your experience was like and, and what the league was like back in the time that you played. So welcome. How you doing, Quasi? Doing good. Thanks for having me. What are you up to now? You're coaching. You just got the season. Just yes, I am coaching um, high school basketball. Just finishing up my season. Um, my husband and I we have two lovely daughters that are fourth and sixth grade. And then this fall slash winter, we took on my sister's sons. So we have two teenage boys, and we just have a house full. We're owners of Italian Mastiffs. Um, and so basketball has ended and Mrs. Domesticated has began. <laughs> All right. So for everybody listening, uh, Quasi <laughs> was my coach in college. So uh, I, I played at Eastern Illinois and I will never forget the day she came walking through the gym. It was after my freshman year. And I see this extremely tall, like six. She felt like she was like six, seven at the time. She's only six, five. Right. Um, comes walking through the gym and I was like, right. who is this? This is supposed to be my post coach. Um, and so Quasi, yeah, you coached me for three years at, at Eastern Illinois. So just, just a little background, um, of her, her coaching experience. We'll get into that a little bit later, but very influential in, in, into my career. No, I want to, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm <laughs> Rachel, I'm cutting you off and hopping in right now. I want a complete evaluation of Rachel's game uh, at that time, what was her strength? What was her weakness? I don't know if you know this. Rachel and I have an ongoing bet. We haven't settled it on the court, but you might be uh, like a phone a friend for me for how I can beat Rachel. Talk to me the ins and outs of Rachel's game real quick. So Rachel Galligan, yes, she was um, a pretty much a walking double double. So I don't know if you have a chance. 
um, definitely enjoyed coaching Rachel. Um, you know, I, I always take the time to build the relationship. So I think we established some rapport and then, you know, I was able to kind of be her Robin when she was Batman going to war on the court. Um, and then junior and senior year, I just clapped a lot, you know, it was like, (laughs) yes. So she was awesome. Um, very easy to coach. You're let you're letting me off way too easy. You guys, she used to pinch my oh my goodness on the bench. Okay, okay. So <laughs> the high drama piece that I was not going to mention was Rachel coming out of the game and readjusting her hair. <laughs> and this was prior to you know the thinning job that she has now. <laughs> and so yeah, she would come out and readjust this hair and. Um, so finally, I, I finally I would just like pinch her, and she was like, "What? What?" And I'm like, "I'm right here," <laughs> and we got 30 seconds to get our lives together. It was always a we moment. We have 30 seconds to get our lives together, and I'd give her a you know a tip or two, and she'd go back out and continue to perform. So that was funny. Yeah, that was good times, Rachel. You fixing that hair? It was. So, I was so concerned. Like, those were the days. Yeah, those were the days when you had to like iron your hair, and like I had, I have a lot of hair. It was. was. So I was so concerned. I always had to get my hair ready. So anyway, it's just funny. I, I would, I would come back from games with bruises, <laughs> little baby bruises on the back of my arm because you would pinch me to get my attention. It's just crazy. You know, but as somebody who we has some good never, times. <clears throat> no, I was just gonna say, as somebody who has never played and always watched basketball, I have always been so confused. With like, I I have a whole crazy hair thing going on my own, but like, if it's not perfect, I am going insane. So I don't understand what the players in the W are doing because I would be consistently distracted by my hair and focusing on like getting it just like, even when I play pickup, I'm doing that. I can't like, oh, a curl's out of place or, you know, a hair's getting in my eye. Then I look at people like Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, whose hair just doesn't move. Yeah, but they're they yeah, are that's um, true. It, it, they are they're the ultimate professionals. So they've got that hair already ready to go. Like that's the last thing they're worried about. This was like <laughs> amateur collegiate. Um, I would definitely pinch you too if you um, start pulling at your hair during a pickup game. So uh, there we go. That's why I'm bringing you in as my coach when I play Rachel on one on one. I'd be a traitor. <laughs> <laughs> you can't no, you can't say that. If I if you're on my team, where's your allegiance to the team? <laughs> I'd be a traitor. I can't <laughs> trade in Rachel. I can't do that. Exactly. Um, Quace, I wanna let let's let's give the listeners a little bit of background. Um, you know, we're, we'll we'll kind of go through the timeline. Um, you know, from a young age, how did you get into basketball up until um, your your journey to IU? So as as a young girl, um I knew that because I would hear it around the town that my dad had won back-to-back high school state championships in 64 and 65. Um, but, you know, he had me later in life, so I didn't obviously, you know, experience any of that, or I just would hear the whispers. Um, and then I had a sister before me that played, um, and then there was Lewis and Ruth Harvey. Um, coach would come to my 7th and 8th grade games and tell me I was going to be this great basketball player one day. And I was laughing because track was my thing. You know, I wanted to run in the Olympics as a 400 runner. And he would say, okay, Olympics, maybe for basketball. And he just kept 
you know, being consistent and supporting me and then inviting me in the summers. Um, you know, my, like I said, my sister played and then I'm next to the oldest. So then it was like, okay, everybody under us kind of played ball and stuff. And Lewis Harvey influenced my family, um, tremendously him and Ruth Ann. And then he would always say like, you can go to Europe and play. Cause there was no WNBA. You can go to Europe and play. And I'm like, okay, coach, cool. And you can get scholarship. You can go to Europe. You're just going to be a, a fantastic player. You just got to listen to me. And I'm like, okay. Um, and so high school, I would say eight, oh, eighth grade year, I had a, um, a really bad injury where I set out for almost a year. I broke my growth plate in my knee. I was probably about six, three at the time. And they said, if you stop growing, we're going to go in and break the other leg. And it was just so high dramatic, but ended up growing another inch and a half or so both legs grew. And so we're safe. Freshman year, I didn't play high school. Sophomore year, I played. Um, and just every year I got better because I was in the gym for fall basketball in the state of Michigan. Then I practiced with the freshman boys in the winter. And then I was the baseball statistician, statistician, or however you want to say that, for the spring. But, you know, in Michigan, you're in the gym for until May almost. And so I just did ball all year round and really improved myself. Um, and I ended up you know, probably averaging a double-double there in high school. And then here comes AAU ball. Here comes um, Jill Pizzotti. Uh, she was at Indiana at the time. And I think Jolette Law recruited me. It was her first year coaching at Ball State. Oh, wow. Uh, who else recruited me? Um, oh, Pat. What is Pat's last name? Charity. Mm-hmm. At Western Michigan. So those were my choices. And, you know, Jill was the the Chicago, you know, swagged out coach, very confident. Yeah. And she was like, you're going to Indiana. And I was like, you're right. I'm coming to Indiana. (laughs) So she was awesome. Um, and so that, that's kind of, you know, what happened. I, I vied for Michigan Miss basketball my senior year. Um, I played with the Michigan top guns, played with some good players there in Southwest Michigan. And I think nationals for AAU was in, Chattanooga and Teresa Edwards was the opening day speaker, you know? So I just, just so much great influence in women's basketball. And I was, I I felt at home. I felt like this is the sport I needed to be playing. So you go to IU and you have a really great Mm -hmm. career. You're averaging like close to 19 points a game your senior year. You were all Mm -hmm. uh, big 10 first team. In my opinion, I honestly, I don't know how you're not in the IU hall of fame yet. We got to, we, I would like to uh, nominate you for that because I feel like that's just a matter of time. Uh, <laughs> let's talk it's, about... it's been 10 minutes, but I'll second that nomination. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, there you go. I like it. Um, well, you know, sometimes things take time, Rachel. I just got my high school jersey retired last February. Oh, congratulations. Um, so that, that'll go up in the rafters here soon. And that was a great experience to kind of go back home and be um, appreciated. And, um, you know, sometimes, I mean, I've been, shoot, I've been out of high school for 26 years. So I thought they forgot about me, but they did. (laughs) Um, and that was, that felt good and warm and wholesome to go home in front of my family and friends and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, be honored in that way. Well, I mean, yeah, with the career you had, I mean, you were, you ended up, uh, you 
the perfect timing. I mean, the league had been around for one year. You were drafted in 1998. Kind of what was that experience like? I mean, did you did you know you were going to be drafted or were you kind of sitting around waiting? Well, so the, the, the talk was if you are a first team, all Big Ten kid, you can possibly get drafted to the WNBA. Um, I want to say like around my junior year, I start thinking, I think the ABL was around and it was talks of the WNBA. And I was like, that's what I want to do. You know? So I even, I mean, me, and the other captain on my team, like we got crazy. We went in and talked to Tim Garl on coach night staff and we conditioned with the boys basketball team at Indiana for that summer, you know, leading up to my senior year. Cause we were like, I mean, I know I was convinced that I could do it, but I knew I had to be in the best shape. I knew I had to improve my skill even more. And that was the thing. If you can make first team all Big Ten, you can do it. And I don't even know where those records are, are at, but it was eight of us. It's usually five, you know, young ladies. It was eight of us. Like, we weren't trying to be denied. Um, and so that was that. Um, I continued to train. Um, I would say I went to Sacramento probably in the best shape of my life. I continued to train and then um, I talked to a couple agents and it was so weird because we had like um, a shindig at my house and I was waiting on my phone to ring on draft day. So now, you know, it's like, let me get that tailored dress suit, whatever I need to show up and um, be on national television. Well, then it was like, let me make sure my phone is charged up. <laughs> so I don't miss this phone call. And that's how we got drafted back then. Um, so I just, I had friends over, but you know, I had everybody pretty much quiet, like, Hey, I can't miss this call. It's coming. So felt confident about it. Um, didn't know when it would come. I will say the actual draft camp in Chicago, maybe the top 10 kids weren't there and I played well, but it was like, okay, the top 10 players aren't here. So now we're looking at 11 to to 40. Mm-hmm. Like, where am I going in the realm of that? And it was just, it was just a good time. You know, it's my whole life. I've had an opportunity to just be this competitive spirit. And so, you know, that's what it was. I, I knew I, I could do it. I was just waiting on that call. Did, did you have any interviews with the teams before? Like, what was that experience? Like, I mean, most, I, obviously, it's changed a lot over the years, but I'm just very curious. Mm-hmm. You know, most WNBA fans don't even know that they, you know, had a camp for you guys to play each other and, and, and for scouts to review you more. Yeah. So I don't remember personally being interviewed at the draft camp or even thereafter. Um, it was almost like a situation where obviously your SIDs probably prepared something. Um, your coaches probably knew, you know, those coaches. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how much, you know, the person that drafted me was and the coach that drafted me was Heidi Vanderveer. I don't even know if Tara being an Indiana alum had something to do with that or if they just saw, uh, you know, my length and, and my ability as a as a true asset to bring me to Sacramento. So I think it was a lot more of your coaches who they knew. I think it was a lot more behind the scenes jockeying, not like it is now. Now it's, 
everything's in the forefront. It, it wasn't that. It was kind of, I don't know, it was different. I don't know. I don't know if I have the right words for it, but somebody else spoke for you. That's how I, that's a good way to put it. Okay. So they talked around you, not necessarily to you as the athlete. Right. So at that time, I mean, you, you got to play with some of the biggest names, like legendary pioneers, like, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, cool. Like, <laughs> some of your your friends and your teammates and experiences with some of these. Yes, yes. So some of the so our draft class was um, Tisha Pinachero, uh, Adia Barnes, Copa, and Tangela Smith, and myself. So imagine that. That's a lot of talent in one one shebang. Yeah. And then I arrived to Sacramento and you have Lady Harmon from Georgia. You have Bridget Gordon from Tennessee. You have Latasha Byers from DePaul. I mean, you just have a plethora of talent just around surrounding you. And then I'm trying to think you go and you play some preseason games and there's Natalie Williams uh, from Stanford. And then you go down to LA and there's Lisa Leslie and Delisha Milne. And it's just like, I mean, when I say the best players in the world, the best in the world. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Mawabi Mabika was on that um, Sparks team. Who else did we play in the preseason? Hmm. We didn't get to Cheryl and Coop and Tina and those guys to the actual season started, but right. it was just so much talent around, um, so many respectable names and so many pioneers. And it's funny because at the time, you know, I played in the league the second to the sixth year, or six second to the seventh year, you didn't feel like you were a pioneer of anything. You just felt, well, I personally felt humbled um, to be in that type of company every day. Um, and it's so funny that first year was, you know, it was different, but the second, third, fourth, fifth year, like I literally would live out of my suitcase. I was like, I got to be as hungry. You know what I'm saying? As I can be like, I need to be starving to make this team. Like, so I would not even unpack my bags. I would not get one bit comfortable and I would just go every day and compete and, and put myself out there in hopes of, you know, making that final roster. Well, I have to ask because I'm I'm looking at your Wikipedia page, which I assume some of the stuff is out of date. But according to this, did you play for the Phoenix Mercury when Cynthia Cooper was the coach? I did. I can, did. Can you talk and... to me about this? Because that is most people don't understand <laughs> the craziness of so, like, the greatness yeah, of so, it. Yes. Oh my goodness. First of all, first class, amazing. So much energy, such a motivator. Um, and I got, I want to say I got released in Seattle and I wasn't on the wire 20 minutes and I was like, you're going to Phoenix. And I'm like, okay. Um, I get down there and the team was, was good. I think Jennifer Gillum was still playing. I mean, the team was good. It was, um, you know, it was a good team. They were really, they were different. You know, I'm personality and they were all business, you know. Um, and so I didn't understand why people didn't talk. And Coop was like, I don't care if they don't talk. They need to be, you need to be balling out. Like, I don't care if you, if you don't say a word. And I'm like, what? So, you know, me, I'm like, Miss Defense talking, you know, cheering in practice. Like, I'm just the whole personality. And they're looking at me like, you got too much energy. 
I'm <laughs> youngin'. That's how people were looking at me. But she was awesome. Um, you know, she did something. Now, this was cool. She would challenge anybody. She didn't care. Um, every day at the end of practice. She gets the ball first. We're playing the one. I bet I can beat you. And she would win every day. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, that. I mean, I never raised my hand. I was good on that. I had chased her around. <laughs> I had chased her around in some um, Houston and Seattle Storm games. And they'd be hollering, help. And I'm like, I'm here. <laughs> kind of, sort of. So, yeah, no, I never took part in that. I was always observing. <laughs> So, I just want to ask, I mean, at that time, like, what was the mentality like? I mean, I'm just fascinated because the league, you know, we're entering the 25th season. The league has grown mm. so much, but it's still very much a baby. Um, I've talked with, mm-hmm. you know, so many players from the past who said, like, at the time, you know, we had to do our own promotion. We were going door to door trying to get fans to come. Um, it was, oh, like, what was yes. Now, I will. Oh, I'm sorry to cut you off. You're good. You're good. What was that like? We were really, we were over, we were probably overly accessible to our fans. Um, I, I remember the experiences in Seattle. We had a great fan base, but we did a lot of events and a lot of things to kind of cultivate um, this following. Um, and it was, it was more intimate, more personable. It wasn't, you got to remember this was, there was no social media. <laughs> So everything was kind of an event where, you know, fans would probably have tickets or, um, you know, we would go to different areas in the city, you know, to kind of gain that exposure. And I will say Seattle probably had some of the best fans if I if I'm not being biased, you know. And you felt connected to them and you felt the support and um, the love and. You know, we never wanted the summers to end. We could just, you know, Seattle in the summer. I could do that right now. Um, it was beautiful out there, and the people were gracious. I was gracious for the people. Sorry, um, but yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like it is now. It, it definitely wasn't. So I, I like this idea now that you know, even with the NC2A, you know, players can benefit from their likeness. You know what I'm saying? And that there are tools where people can, um, you know, put themselves out there and, 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 and have a brand and sell that brand and, um, you know, enhance that brand, like whatever it is. But yeah, back in the day, you know, I think the league did a good job of just promoting, you know, that top, you know, maybe six to eight people. You know, you knew about Rebecca Lobo, you knew about Cheryl Swoops, you knew about Cynthia Cooper, you knew about and that's kind of where it kind of ended, if you will. Um, well, and I think like. And now you don't need the league. You can, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can create your own. You need the league, but I don't want to say it negatively. You don't, you need it, but you can kind of light your own path, if you will. It's interesting. Like, we always love bringing up the retro uh, commercials, right? Like the Sue Bird Deli commercial. Um, you know, the Uh Cheryl Swoops ones, like, I mean, there was just so many fun things that were happening in those early years, like the Rebecca Lobo Barbie. I mean, some of those throwback uh, promotions that were happening with the league. I wish we could see more of it now. Um, You know, that, that type of promotion and maybe it will come. Uh, But yeah, I mean, just interesting at that time frame and and what that was like for you. But you also, I want to kind of segue here. You played a ton 
all over the world. Like, where, where all did you play? Oh, goodness. I played in Spain, Italy, Israel, Turkey. You always say Istanbul, but Istanbul is definitely not a country. <laughs> the people that live there think it's its own country, but it's not. Turkey, uh, Korea, South Korea, China, uh, Hungary. Shoosh, I played everywhere. Legitimately. Um, <laughs> le- yeah, legit. And it was awesome experiences. Um, you know, I would always try to like kind of weave and 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 be a part of the culture. You know, I was I'm a I'm not a big foodie anymore, but back then I was I was down and willing to um you know, kind of embrace the culture and and kind of get right in with the with the locals and well, it was a good experience. I, I have to ask because mm-hmm. Rachel and I love asking people who have played overseas. I know Rachel has her own horror stories. But, uh, you know, there, there's the very famous story of Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi's, uh, the owner, Shoptai, the owner of their team, getting assassinated uh, during the season. Hopefully you didn't have any experiences similar to that. I did but, not. <laughs> but you know what? I, I wasn't the top tier kid that was playing in Russia either. So, hey. <laughs> but tell, <laughs> you tell know, us some crazy in, stories because, you know, it was probably, uh, it, it, it was a different time and you're playing over there. You know, it's not, you don't, you probably didn't have, uh, everybody doesn't have a cell phone back then. The internet isn't oh, as no. crazy where it's yeah. so easy to it communicate back and forth. Yeah, exactly. Like you're going dial up to to call your friends back home or whatever. I mean, uh-huh. you were, you were part of, of, of what we all hear about, right? These, these yes. amazing women's basketball players going overseas to make a living because you're not getting that over in America. And there's a lot of ups and downs that you experienced over there. So give us give us a little sneak peek. Hmm. Um, and besides well, some the fact of the that- craziest things that I've seen. So one of the craziest things that I that I experienced is was being in Turkey. And you would go play like Fenerbahce or Galatasaray and those big games. And the fans would light coins with the mat with the lighter oh and throw them. <laughs> At the players, <laughs> not making that up. Um, another crazy experience was um, everybody smoked, so people would smoke in the gyms. Um, I had teammates that smoked, and I'm like, "How can you run and smoke like that? Doesn't go together." Um, we were obviously. Um, oh, another. This is a good one. They didn't shave <laughs> their armpits and stuff. So that now that I'm like, listen, babe, you got to get that together. Um, so Europe was definitely it was some it was some kookiness, some craziness going on over there. Um, let me think. What else was? Um, How was the language barrier? Oh, um. Okay, so in Spain. I played with Amaya Valdemora, who, um, and I lived with her, and she spoke English, so I cheated so bad. I wish she was not present to help me cheat, and I wish I could have learned um, Spanish. I understood more than I could say, um, but then some of the other countries, I would just kind of move move in silence. Um, now, Israel, everybody spoke English. 
And in Turkey, I was in Istanbul. I was in the big city. So majority of the people spoke English. Um, And then, but in Italy, nobody spoke English. In Spain, I was in a town where a few people spoke English. Um, Basketball transcends though, you know, and then obviously in Korea, China, places like that, you had a translator. But if you start writing X's and O's on the board, I'm good. You you really don't have to talk to me about it. it. It's an international language, right? But I I do want to ask, you know, nowadays players spend all their free time watching Netflix, maybe learning another link. What did you spend your free time doing? Because you're only playing basketball for however many hours. Right. Well, some and some on some teams I played in in my country and then I would play in European competitions. So I did travel. Um when I had when I played teams with European competition, we would travel every week outside of the country. So that took up a little bit of time. But Spain, I'll go to that. My first experience, I went there for nine months and I read seventeen books. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And but and I started reading books because I was spending all my money trying to like call home and, <laughs> you know, paying for internet and that barely worked and stuff like that. And there was no, um, there was cable, but it was like, I'm already paying for the phone. So <laughs> I just kind of got in, we'll go to little bookstores and find like English books and do some reading and stuff like that. Um, and then thinking next countries. It was just really, it was, it was a time to chill. I mean, there were parties and stuff like that and there was a nightlife. So I'm sure I did my fair share of that, but <laughs> did you, um, did you, it was similar- a time to chill. It was a time to chill out. Yeah. And, and you deserve relax. it. Yeah. You're working your body yeah. like crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, nowadays we hear about, oh, this player from Seattle is playing this player from Minnesota. So after the game, they go hang out. Did you have that experience where you were going up against, let's say, you know, Galatasaray who had some other player that you had played against in yeah. the W and, and then you're able to kind of hang out and have that relationship. Oh yeah. We were, um, we were close knit. I mean, the WNBA is competitive as it is, you know, if you were in the same country, like Istanbul, it was probably eight teams. I mean, Leslie Johnson was over there. Danielle McCulley was over there. Stacy Lovelace. Um, I mean, some of the, you know, girls that I played against and we weren't on the same team, but, you know, we would compete. And then when that game ended, you know, you get showered up and dialed up and you go out and have a dinner and laugh and talk. And so, yeah, no, I think it's definitely a sisterhood to the WNBA where people have a mutual respect for each other. They compete now on the court. Right. Mm -mm -mm. But off the court. yeah, Yeah, it was definitely a sisterhood. So, so at what point in your career was it time to hang it up? And and did you know that you wanted to become a coach? Oh, Rachel. Well, um, so there, there, there's most people that know me know that I was a teen mom and, um, I had a little, little boy at home and he just kept getting older and older. And I thought, Quasi. And I think I signed a contract late. My last year, I signed a contract to go to Germany and I had gotten everything ready to bring him with and homeschool him and do all this fancy stuff. And I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? You need to get a job. (laughs) You need to get a real job. Um, And, you know, as a player, you, you want, you need that competitiveness. 
So the next thing that you do has to be like ultra competitive. And, um, you know, I think college coaching was the next best thing, you know? And, um, I kind of asked around, I started digging around and I'm like, I could do that. I would love to do that. And it's, you know, it still included travel with the recruiting piece, mm-hmm. um, and mixing and mingling, you know, with people. And so that's what I did. I went back to IU, um, and I was able to, you know, still travel with recruiting. I was still able to compete, you know, at that highest level of basketball and, you know, helping, um, the young ladies along and, you know, sharing my experience and my journey with them and be a mom. And so it was just perfect. It was a perfect transition, if you will. Yeah. So you, you, you spent time where you were at Austin P correct. And then you came and coached me at Eastern Illinois. And then you went down to, mm-hmm. uh, you were at Muskegee. Wait, what's... then I came down to Georgia and I was at Columbus state, Columbus state, Columbus state for three years, Tuskegee and then Indiana state. I mean, you, and then I went to Tuskegee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you have a, a really extensive coaching back. Yeah. Uh, I think, I, I, I think, yeah, for 17 years, it was, uh, an awesome ride. I enjoyed it. Like I said, I, it was always that competitive space. You know, I needed the competitiveness. Yeah. Um, and then I, I really took pride in, you know, mentoring young women and, and helping them, you know, reach their dreams and goals. And, and you know, I, it was always some laughs along the way with that. Um, and some tears and some good times and some bad times and challenging times. I just enjoyed um, being able to give back mm-hmm. in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the last few years of my, of my career, it just got to, okay, you have daughters of your own. Right. Yeah. And so then again, you start, you're searching for that competitive space where you can, you can, you can do all, you can do all, be all. So, um, seven, eight basketball in the state of Georgia, I'm still teaching, you know, I get, um, I even mentor kids and love on kids that aren't athletes in high school. So it's a fun space. And then I can still be mom yeah. to um, my girls yeah, and auntie to my nephews. Cause so now I'm like mama auntie coach right. or auntie mama coach. It just depends on what kid we're referencing at the time. Yeah. It's, it's always amazed me Quace, like everything that you've been able to do and everything you've been able to accomplish um, and, and just been through with life. And I know your faith plays a major aspect of that. And you just have been a major um, role model for me. And I want everybody to hear that and to know that because, you know, it's it's the women like you who help, you know, the younger girls like me become the woman that I am today. And I, I really hold you to a high um, pedestal for that. Mm-hmm. And I love you to death. And, and I just, I love asking this question. And I know I'm getting very deep right now, but it's true. You know, it, it's, it's so true. And, and I'm very yeah. thankful for you, but I, I want to ask, you know, for the young girls out there, you know, in Michigan or, you know, who anywhere, anywhere in the world that has an aspiration of playing this game or playing any, any sport and, and reaching the highest level, what advice would you have for them? Ooh, well, thanks for your warm um, sentiments. And I would just say for young girls, Hmm. Your work ethic is so, so important. I would say dreaming big is important. Work ethic is important. And just being competitive, you know, I, I, 
I, I think sometimes I'll say I'll use my girls for an example. They are in the volleyball right now and they are competitors when they're out there. And I was laughing at them because they compete in Uno. And we do a little basketball here and there, but they have that competitive spirit already. Whether it's, you know, in the pool, they're racing each other, you know, playing card games, they're competing. I'm like, okay, it's time to put them up. You know, so I would say just once you figure out, you know, okay, I like something, I would say work hard at it. Dream, you know, dream big. Um, And then I would also say just stay competitive. I think a a competitive nature, competitive spirit is going to propel you in this life, no matter what it is. If it's sports, if it's your job, if it's, you know, you just got to continue to compete and you got to find things that motivate you to compete as you go along your journey. All right. I got I got a few questions for you. Okay. You you dropped some knowledge. Rachel likes to get all serious. I like to have a little bit more of a good time. She was talking very kind to you. I actually have extreme beef with you because you told me that you wouldn't be my coach. And if you were my coach, you would uh, help Rachel. So we got beef. Um, but talk to me. You've played a plethora of leagues, a plethora of amazing talents. Who was the, you know, I don't want to say did you have a rival, but who was the toughest player that you ever went up against? Oh, my goodness. So... It has to be Lisa Leslie. She tortured me, okay? Because I was young and green and really inexperienced. And we would have to play them for preseason and then turn around and play them four times for the regular season. And I thought, can't somebody else guard her on my – or try. Let me let me, let me me get this right. Try to guard her on this team. And then it was days where we brought the whole kitchen sink and she scored anyway. Um. And I, I just think that the, just the combination, her alongside like a Delisha Mill, and it was just fits all day. So she, but Lisa Leslie probably is one of the top. Um, I, I do remember games um, where I, where Houston would play Cheryl in the post. They play her at the four and places like that. And it was like, put your running shoes on and just chase her around. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a lot of good. Um, a lot of good talent to go up against, but I would definitely have to say Lisa. Actually, that you just you just made me think of this. How scary were the Houston comments during those years? Because <laughs> you, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Because like we talk about dominating teams, these you know it, you talk about sports dominating teams. You think of the Bulls during Michael Jordan. You think of the Minnesota Lynx mm-hmm. during that seven year span. But no team has done at least unless, you know, I got knocked over the head with something and I can't find Uh anything on the internet. No team has done a four peat. No team has pulled it off like the Houston Comets. And we often look back and, and, you know, some people try and knock it that, oh, the league was still young and blah, blah, blah. But Uh that is an amazing feat. How scary was it to be on the opposite sideline? Very. So let's, let's put this into, and I'm, I don't remember. I re- you know, you obviously remember the big names, Cheryl Swoops, who shot the NBA three, Tina Thompson, who shot the NBA three, Cynthia Cooper, who shot the NBA three. So it was like, okay, if you don't cover the three, they're going to make it. And if you cover <laughs> it, they're going to go by you. And, you know, as a post player, I remembered some of the, you know, good guards in the league, like the Coops of the world coming 
I'm like, at least slow them down if you want me to help you. Like, give me a chance to get a block, okay? Don't send somebody down this lane going 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So it was always funny, you know, the the best were like half times, you know, we would give. Um, I remember a half time, Adil killed me for telling this. I remember a half time, Adil was trying to guard Coop and, you know, Adil was a great athlete, Um, you know, longer than a Cynthia Cooper and and she was just like oh my god this is so frustrating you know she would be like that like going crazy at halftime and I'm like it's frustrating for everybody because they were just so good so I could I know that I remember that specifically one of our halftimes was all about like oh my goodness you know what I mean it was like you got on this roller coaster at you know um Disney and you were ready to get off of it kind of that's a good way to sum it up. <laughs> that's a, that's um, yeah, that sounds I yeah. I mean, I imagine it as when you were like a 6th grader and you're going up against like the ninth grade team and you're like, "Well, <laughs> we're going to play our best and mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, they play their worst and then maybe we'll have a chance." Um <laughs> no offense to anybody, but like the Houston yeah. Comets are just, you know, they historically oh my god, they're just They're very good. And then, and those were just, I mean, I'm trying to think. It was a couple more um, women that were extraordinary on that team. I think Amaya played with the with Houston. Um, there were some, you know, a couple of foreign guards on there that I probably can't pronounce their names and don't remember their names, but they were stacked. Yeah, they were those those three big three, or you know, they were good. But everybody on that roster was good. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know not jealous of you for playing against Cooper and then being coached by her. I don't know if this ever happened, but I just imagine her talking smack as a coach. Like, remember that game this many years ago when we put up this on you? Like I, I could very well see her talking smack she, as a coach. She did, not, she did not do that. She just had this, uh, her presence, you know, just reminded you. She didn't have to say anything. You knew, <laughs> you, you know knew. what I mean? You already knew, but um, now I will. I will go back. Go ahead, Rachel. No, um, I remember Quasi being at the Final Four, okay. some Final Four, and uh, Cynthia Cooper was across the street. I don't get very like fangirlish very often. Like I don't get super starry eyed, you know, around. But Coop, my God, she was like I think we're in Dallas. Yeah, it might have been Dallas, but I, I literally was like, oh my God, that's Cynthia Cooper, and you were like what up Coop? And I could not believe that you were friends. And I think at that moment I had this like complete like meltdown of my, what my coach, my friend is friends with Cynthia Cooper. I remember just being like so uptight and freaking out in the street. It was so funny to me. Uh, like you said, she has that presence. It was, and you could feel it even, even at that time. Yes, definitely. Now I will say um, my years in Seattle playing for Lynn Dunn, you know, she would always go back and crack a old Indiana Purdue joke. She did not <laughs> um, ever let that go. And in her days, you know, it was it was rough for Indiana. It was hard to beat them. And then I think once she left, you know, they were still really good. They won a national championship after her. But you know, Indiana broke a little ground there. I think my senior year, we beat them a couple times, and we warred with them all the time. That was our big in-state rival. You know, Indiana Purdue. But yeah, she would bring up Indiana Purdue stuff and, and it wasn't always pleasant. I'm like, okay, coach. You know, like, but she she'd bring that back up. So but but Coop didn't do that. She was totally like, 
it was almost like I've arrived kind of feel from her. Um, but warm when you talk to her. But if she's just standing there, I'm like Rachel, like, wow. She, you know, Coop's one of those players where I always reference this. Uh, Kevin Garnett had his old show, Area 21. In one of the episodes, he had Coop and Lindsay Whalen, and they're sitting there. And somebody said something about, like, who would win the Lynx or the Comets. And it was just a, a great uh, experience to watch Coop be like, oh, no question, we would dominate. No no one on their team can cover me. No one could stop me. And if and if you think about stopping me, you're not going to, but I'll pass it to somebody else and you're not stop. Like, the confidence that she exudes, I think, is something that we don't often see on the women's side, at least. And I love it. I, I think it, it's it just it makes you gravitate towards that type of player and say, I'm on their side. Yeah. Or, and even if not, you know, if you stand there and say you're going to beat Cynthia Cooper, she's going to make you look like a fool. Um, so I, I just love her personality. She's, she's a player I've admired for many, many years. And I love that yes, you got to not yeah. only play against her, but be coached play by her. her. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, that must've been, I mean, like just being able to be, you know, the little tidbits, the little conversations that you have. I know, you know, Rachel speaks very highly of, of those similar situations that she had with you. But then for you to have that with someone that you've competed with, uh, I think I feel like is just next level. So that's mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate you dropping some knowledge on us and, and uh, opening your eyes with these stories. Yes, I have enjoyed myself through th- thoroughly. I've enjoyed myself. Well, Quasi, thank you for. Quasi, thank you for joining us. Uh, love you to death. We'll have you back on talking some hoops, hopefully later on this summer. And we will catch you next time. Thank you, everybody.